I'm going to get right into it because i got a lot to share with you guys. With that said, though, if you weren't here for the past two weeks, we've been talking about what makes DSM DSM. We're not just a youth group in the city just to attract a couple of teenagers that maybe can come in and discover Jesus. That's cool. But really our job is just to be able to entertain you and do cool stuff and, uh, you know, have 80s nights. While all of those things are fun, man, we really believe that God is calling a generation to rise up above what this culture says that you're about. Our culture says that you all are dumb, you're narcissistic, you're consumers, all you care about is yourself, all you care about is taking selfies, and all you care about is winning a trophy even though you didn't win the game. A little too close, a little too personal. You're like, David, I got five participation awards at my house on my dresser. Good. Good job for participating. But here's the thing. You have been like put into a category by other generations that are older than you and they see you that way, but not us and not me. Because what I have seen and what I have known in the 14 years I've been a youth pastor in Texas and now here in the beautiful state of Colorado, here at New Life Church, is this. I think students are just waiting to be given, waiting to be given permission to do the things that adults talk about but never do. I believe that you guys truly are the generation that God and his word in the New Testament is talking about. Where sons and daughters are going to rise up and they're going to begin to prophesy. And there's going to be a move of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think God is really picky at this point. I think he's just looking for someone who will be passionate about the things he's passionate about. Who understands that you can literally change the world through the power of intercession by going into your closet and kneeling down and shutting that door and saying, God, if there is no one else on this planet right now, I will intercede on the behalf of the world. I will intercede on the behalf of my school right now. God, I feel so alone and I feel kind of stupid doing it. But your word says that if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. And I don't think God is going to have a hard time finding someone who is willing to get on their knees and say, God, I pray for the broken. And I know that you still heal. And I know that you still want to redeem. And I still know that you chase after one who is lost out of the 99. I believe that because you did that for me, God. So I believe that you will do it again. You see, I don't know how many students in your culture are willing to do that. But I promise you this because God's promises are yes and amen for you. If you do this, you're entering into a whole different level of a walk with Jesus Christ, dude. You don't even know the power that you possess. So DSM is about helping students discover this though. What it means to live passionately, not just seek the goosebumps, but to understand that passion is a commitment to pursue the heart of God. When things are going great and when things are getting flushed down the toilet. Interceding. We talked about last week really briefly about how six people just said, you know what, we're going to start interceding for New York City. Do you all remember this story? And they begin to intercede, six people, but then the next week there's like 20. And then like Within one year's time, guys, over one million people in New York City had committed their life to Jesus Christ. Because only six took Jesus' words seriously and unlocked the power of what it means to intercede on the behalf of others. It makes a difference. You want to change your world? Go get in your closet. Get on your knees and begin to pray. 
And then when you don't see breakthrough, you go back to your closet and you shut the door the next day and you get on your knees and you begin to pray. And then a year later, and then two years later, and a decade later, this is what the biblical heroes that we read about are made of. And you are the generation that God wants to rise up to do this very thing. Because our world has never been darker in its history. And the light is within you. And God is going to use you to bring the light. And he is going to use the foolish ones in this room to confound the wise and the wisdom of this world. And so if you go, David, that's great for the smart, good-looking kid who's the natural leader. I'm just an introverted weirdo. It's awkward for me to even talk to people and look them in the eye. God's like, that's the one. It's the one who knows that they don't have what it takes. But if they just say yes to me, I will blow the world's mind by the fact that they will be the one who changes it. All right, man. I got to get in my sermon for this week because passion, intercession. Does anybody know what the next one is? It starts with a C. It's because it's right behind me. Good. Good job cheating there, students. Consecration. What a big, old school, creepy sounding word. How many of y'all could give an, a real, an accurate definition, provided this is not on the screens behind me, of what consecration is? Just shout it out. Let me hear. What does it mean? What is it? Focus. Okay. Who else? Consecration. What does it mean? Y'all take AP classes and go to college pathways. What's? <laughs> yeah, let me hear you back there. Setting your heart apart for God. Ooh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Ooh, child. Surrendering everything for him. Okay, we're getting really close to the bullseye. Anybody else want to give it a shot? It's not a trick question. Consecration. Yeah, giving everything to him. Let me give you the real definition. Y'all are really good. Y'all are very intuitive. You know that this means sacrifice, probably. Consecration is this big word. It's kind of old school sounding, but consecration, I've got two definitions for you. First off, consecration is a solemn commitment of your life or your time to some cherished purpose, to a service or a goal. Does that make sense? I don't need to explain that. That's pretty simple, right? Okay, but here's the second one. This is the one I like even more. Consecration. Sanctification of something by setting it apart. Good job. As dedicating it unto who? God, right? This is like the classic Sunday school answer, y'all. DSM. By sitting it apart to? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Jesus, God, yes. Okay. So basically, let me help break this down for you. Because immediately when we begin to think about consecration, I'm, a, I'm projecting this on you. Well, you know what I think about when I think, when I think conse consecration? I'm like, I've got to give stuff up. Restrictions. How many of y'all, if you're going to be honest, consecration feels a little bit like that sometimes, where you think like, okay, if I'm being honest, Dave, it feels like I'm kind of being denied something that I really, really want or really what it really want to do, right? But as I really wrestle through this, I have good news for you guys tonight. It's not that. It really isn't. The devil would want you to think that it is. So you look at consecration not as this act of worship and expression of freedom, but as a restriction, almost like going to jail. Almost like having to vacuum your bedroom. Consecration. That's what we begin to feel. But I thought about it. And I was like, man, that can't be right because that doesn't sound like liberation to me. Because God is a liberating God and it was for freedom. He died for us and he set us free. So 
Why would he want to set us free and then make us go back to jail with just a different set of rules? Maybe a nicer looking jail, but it's a jail nonetheless. I don't think that's what God wants to do because God is a God of freedom. As I thought about this, y'all, I think that consecration is a state of your mind and your heart. Way before your actions start following, I believe consecration starts here and it starts here. Because you set something apart and you dedicate it to something that you have. You do that because your heart and your mind wants to do it. Right? Have there been times in your spiritual walk where you're like, okay, I know I'm supposed to have a quiet time devotional in the morning. Now you can hear in that tone, right? What is that? How does that sound? It's like, it's a chore. But then, oh... I can't miss my quiet time in the morning. That is my time between me and the Lord. What's the difference? It's the same thing. Two people, side by side, on their knees, journaling, reading the same scriptures, praying the same prayers. But one feels free, the other one feels restricted. You see, it's about your mindset. And it's about your heart. If you go into this thing thinking, oh, man, I just got to say no to a bunch of stuff my flesh really likes to do, man. And I'm going to be restricted. I'm going to have to sit at home on a Friday night and not have any fun. That is the result you will have. But if you go, I think God is smarter than me. And if this matters to God because he loves me, chances are there's a way of liberty and freedom I'm about to taste that I've never had before. Same denial, totally different results and outcome. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I talked a couple of weeks ago about my wife and I with getting married on December 16th, 1995. Throw that picture up. There we go. What you see on that handsome man's head is hair, y'all. When she married me, she married me with hair. And I told her, I said, honey, that's a bait and switch scam that I pulled on you. Because I could tell I was starting to lose it, but I didn't say anything. Right? But now that she's betrothed to me, I'm like, sucker! You know what I mean? No, that's not funny. Girls are like, ew, you're so terrible. What a terrible youth pastor. Look at my beautiful wife, guys. Jeez. She still looks like that. And so do I. It's so amazing. So, <laughs> that wasn't funny. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> the years have not been kind to me. But here's the thing. That day, I want to let you know a couple of the things that was going through my head. Okay? I won't probably tell them all. But I'll tell you a couple of the things that was going through my mind. I had made a decision at the altar. If you're new here, you're going to realize I'm really random and I always push the edges on things by accident. But here's the thing. Children, when I was standing at the altar, I made promises to my wife to love, honor, obey, sickness, health, wealth, poor, blah, blah, blah. We've been way more poor than we have been wealthy. So, but... We made promises to one another. Promises to stay faithful till death do us part. Golly, what a, what a jail sentence. Till you mean I got to stay with this person till I die? <sighs> okay, I guess. It wasn't what was going through my mind. What was going through my mind as I looked at this beautiful woman, guys, I'm not even joking, okay? I'm not being a preacher. I'm just telling you my story. Those two doors opened up in the back of the sanctuary, this beautiful chapel in Dallas. And, man, those doors opened up. And I swear to you, man, 
I started bawling. I, it was just, I couldn't, I, I don't even know why. I was so moved by the beauty and the purity of this beautiful woman that I loved more than any other woman I've ever been with and had as a girlfriend. She walked up here and she walked up to me. I was the one that she chose, man. And so to stand there and look her in the eye and make these vows to her was not a chore for me because I knew she loved me. And I knew that by committing myself till death do I part from her, death could be the only thing that can break us apart. I was also saying no to certain things. What I was saying in this moment is I'm not going to have any booze on the side. <laughs> You're like, what? I forget. Sometimes y'all are like, I wasn't going to have an extramarital relationship beyond. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? You're like, oh, now we get what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sounds restrictive. You mean to me? You mean to tell me I can't date anybody now? Oh my gosh! Hold on a second. You mean to tell me? In health and in sickness, you mean to tell me when you're puking your guts out because you got the stomach flu, I've got to clean that toilet out? Oh. I said all those things. Why? Because I was entering into the most liberating relationship besides Jesus I had ever experienced. It wasn't restrictive, guys. My choice to say no to certain things allows and has allowed me for the last 22 years to walk in the most beautiful, deep, liberating love that a human could possibly experience. I don't feel like consecrating myself to my wife was saying no to things that I want. If I wanted to continue to live the way that I wanted to live, I would have never proposed to her and I never would have married her. When it comes to your relationship with Jesus... The enemy wants to come in and steal the romance out of your relationship with God. And he wants to make it seem like it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts and a bunch of judgmental phrases and sentences saying that you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And if you do, this is going to, you know, whatever. And just all these consequences. You're like, oh, man, following Jesus sure is amazing, isn't it? Oh, gosh, i got to have a quiet. Right? The devil has robbed you if that's how you feel about God. And if that's how you feel about consecration, no, I consecrated myself because of the freedom I can have to love and live life with this person. And consecration within the context of a marriage between myself and my wife, Scripture says, is a symbol of our relationship with God. He's saying, I'm devoting myself to you. And we say, I devote myself to you, Father. And in this moment, it's this beautiful union that takes place. Don't let the devil or your bad attitude rip you off. Consecration equals freedom. Consecration equals safety. Consecration is for life and beyond with God. He loves you that much. I think the enemy really tries to convince us that consecrating means it gives you something up. But this is what I wrote down, so I'll just read it. It's not as much about, and put this in your phones, write this down, record it, something. Because you're going to need to, you need to remember this. Because consecration is not about giving something up. It is about making space for something better. 
You're not giving something up. You're making space for something better. Does that make sense? We have this storage shed or this storage unit, and we filled it up full of junk like two years ago. And little by little, we'd be going over there and just getting the things that we find a value out of it. Okay? But we're at the point now where if it was on Storage Wars, the people would say on the show, these people were clearly like animals, right? Because our storage unit looks like a bomb went off inside of it. But the truth is, all the stuff that's in there, we just need to get over there and throw it away. Why? So we can make space for something better. Now, what we would put in there, I have no idea. Um, I'm trying to actually get out of the, the storage unit. But my point is this. We got to get the clutter out of our lives to be able to experience the more, the moreness of God. I know it ain't a real word, but it is in my sermon. I think, think about our world. Here's the thing. We live in a world, DSM, that takes the things that are supposed to be consecrated, set aside for God's beauty and purposes and plan, right? Set apart because it's special, right? Set apart because it's beautiful and it's a holy thing, like life. Like marriage, like sex, like money and talents. These are beautiful expressions of God. They look like God when they're consecrated unto him. But what happens is when these, these things, these expressions of God that are consecrated for his glory are hijacked, they become defiled and they become tools of self and pride and hurt and pain. And that's why our world looks the way it does is because we don't honor consecration on anything. This is why some of you guys can watch a Family Guy cartoon, which I used to love until God convicted me, when they start making fun of Jesus and making a joke out of Jesus, some of you in here will laugh at that and quote it. That is a picture of what we're talking about. Things that the Lord has set aside and called holy, we make light of and we joke about it because our culture has defiled the consecrated things. And as Christians, we slowly ebb into the beliefs of what the world says about sex, about our talents, about money, about marriage, about life. And we begin, if you listen to ourselves, man, we hang around the wrong voices, we begin to sound like them. And we begin to go, no, 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 this is a different time. This is 2018. And the things that God says is sacred, you are now saying no. That, that those things don't need to be consecrated. These are my choices. I'm the one in control here, God. Don't tell me how, and don't try to define what should be consecrated in my life. You know who that sounds like? It sounds like Satan. And as a result of that, it sounds very anti-Christ. When we begin to open up the word of God and begin to pick and choose what we agree and we don't agree with. What pride do we have to be able to open up the word of God and say, I disagree. Woe be to anybody that would want to have the guts in their 16-year-old selves to stand up to God and say, I disagree with that. Or 46-year-old self. Right? Oh, help us big time. He will help you tonight. We're going somewhere. When God calls something to be consecrated, he says something is holy. I like our minds, our bodies, our hearts. When we begin to misuse the things that God calls holy, and this is a universal law for all of us, 
When we begin to use the things that God is saying should be consecrated and we use them for something other than that, we are treading on dangerous ground if we misuse or degrade what God has called holy. It's not an addiction and it's not a habit, students. It's an idol. And you are worshiping another God. But your eyes have been blinded by the fact that because you walk in this room, you think this is what it means to know God. And what I'm telling you is, the, here's the thing. Listen to this preacher today, and this is like crazy. I think some of us in here were on the fence. We have one foot over here. The fence is here. And we're stepping off the other side. And we're like this. And we're like, this is the kind of Christian I want to be. I don't want to rock the boat too much. But I do love Jesus. And I do need him to get me that scholarship into the college. But at the same time, I really, really love getting pictures from my girlfriend when she has no clothes on. Jesus, the worship tonight was amazing. I love what, how it makes me feel, and it reminds me that you do love me. But please don't convict me about these things, because this is my identity, and this is really what I'm putting my, 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 my hat on. This is the hook. It's my GPA, God. It's in how I can be successful. It's how I excel in sports. God, this is, no, 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 don't, don't, don't tell me. I've got, I've got to do these things. I understand I haven't had a quiet time with you in a long time. God, I get it. Uh, that's a summer thing for me. When I go to summer camp, I'll get charged up again. But God, I'm busy. Do you, do you see? Here's the thing. God didn't make that fence. You know who made the fence? The devil. He put that fence there. There is no fences with God. He lays out this pasture for us to run in in freedom. But we got to do it his way. Get back to your notes, David. Okay, I will. Oh, my gosh. There is this king, and he was in God's country. He was in charge as the king over this temple. But he did what I'm talking about, us doing as a culture, and maybe some of you. And, and what he did is he allowed compromise to come in to override consecration. And that is the first step to seeing consecration go right out the window. And the things that should be set apart for God, compromise will start pulling them over here and going, consecration is a restriction, right? So with that said, over time, the temple of God, now this is in the Old Testament, check this out. Man, this is scary. Over his rule... The, the, where the presence of God resided, the actual, pure presence of God resided in the temple. It was so holy that only one man could go in once a year for the atonement of sins. And if he had any wrongdoing in his heart that was unconfessed, he would die right on the spot because God can't be in the presence of sin or unholiness, right? And so with that said... Over time, things that were consecrated to God for his worship and for his purposes in this temple have now become defiled. And other idols have been brought in. And so they're worshiping God, yeah, for sure. But they're also worshiping the God of GPAs and sports and competing calendars and worshiping all sorts of gods. The fear of man, the opinion of man, pornography, all sorts of madness. These gods were now being worshiped right along with over time, the temple is now completely in ruins because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy anything that is consecrated. Anything that belongs to God. And the temple of God is now in a heap of ruins and it is disgusting to look at according to scripture. 
But then there was this new young man, the king's son, and he takes over. And King Hezekiah comes into the situation. And here's the thing I love about this story already. He's only 25 years old. And he's about to lead this nation. Now, when he comes in, he doesn't look around and say, okay, let's get our economy going again. Please, this is not a political thing. I'm just simply saying he doesn't come in and go, okay, we need to do certain things. i got to get my government in order. You know what he does? He goes, the first stinking thing I'm going to handle is that temple that my father has defiled. And that's the first thing I'm going after. Because if God is not first in our nation, nothing else is going to work anyway. So he goes to the temple. And I'm about to read a little story. You ready for story time with Dave? Here we go. This is going to be so good. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and was in king of Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother, Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, in God's opinion, wouldn't you love to know that God's opinion, opinion of you is that you're good and that you're a good leader? Can I tell you something? He does feel that way about you. He does. His, God's opinion of you is that you are righteous, you're holy, you're loved, and he ain't going to let you live a life apart from consecration. All right, here we go. So he kept to the standards of David, his, the ancestor. Now, in the first month, everybody say first month. Of his reign, Hezekiah, having first repaired the doors of the temple of God, threw them open to the public, and he assembled the priests and the Levites in the court on the east side, and he said, Levites, listen. What are the Levites? Maybe you don't know why that's significant. Levites were the professional worship leaders for God. Does that make sense? They had a Levitical call upon their lives. The thing is, though, now that Jesus has come and we have become, uh, we now have life in Christ and he's become our life, we are now worshipers like the Levites. Okay? All of us are worshipers. But he says, Levites, listen up. What is the next word? What does he tell them to do? Before anything, he says, get your stuff straight. He says, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the temple of God and give this much defiled place a good house cleaning. Hezekiah then said, our ancestors went wrong and they lived badly before God. They discarded him. They turned away from this house where we meet with God and they walked off. Students, I feel led by the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of y'all and you, you're good friends with those who have walked off from DSM. And, and please, begin to intercede for them. And, and I really want you to encourage them. They don't have to come back to this youth group, but too many of them are right now doing homework at their house. But their offense was that this was not a spiritual youth group anymore. And so what I'm going to ask you, because we love them and we want them back where they belong, I need you to intercede and I want you to pray for them. And I want you to realize that this is what happens when we begin to allow ourselves to no longer be consecrated to the things of God, but we begin to chase men. It's quiet in here, I know. But I feel like I need to say that because God loves those people. And he understands the wounds on their hearts, but they need to come back so they can get healed. Cool? You need to be a good friend to them. That's what I'm asking you to do. So with that said, these people walked away from God's temple. And they boarded up the doors, they turned out the lights, they canceled all the acts of worship of God in Israel and the Holy Temple. They shut the thing down. Hezekiah, our boy, he says, uh-uh, I've decided, decided to make a covenant, a vow with the God of Israel. And I'm going to turn history around. 
DSM, don't you go dead on me right now. Because this is a word for us. I know what Colorado Springs has been in the past. But I'm here to tell you that don't you see it? God is doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? He's going to make streams in the desert and through the wilderness. God is going to do a new thing. And God is empowering us to be a part of his work to turn history around in your schools. Every person that I talk to that doesn't live here, when I say Colorado Springs, they talk about the teen suicide rate. I hate to keep bringing it up, but I'm here to tell you today is a new day. And as we begin to intercede for the salvation and the souls of those who are seeking some answer in this stupid world, we are going to be the ones who turn history around for this city. And it will no longer be known for what it's been known for. It's not going to be known for death. It's going to be known for life. Because we live passionate, we intercede, and we have consecrated ourselves and removed certain things out of the way to make greater room for power of God to flow through us. You with me? You with me? I have decided to turn history around so that God will no longer be angry with us. He says, children, and I'm here to tell you tonight, DSM, don't drag your feet on this. This is what scripture is saying. The word of God is telling you, we can't drag our feet on this. Our time will pass us by. God has chosen you and to take your place before him and serve him in conducting and leading worship. This is your life work. Make sure you do it, DSM, and do it well. They presented themselves and their brothers and they consecrated themselves and they set to work cleaning up the temple of God as the king had directed, as God had directed. The priest started out from the, where is it? Is it, back, is it behind me? The priest started from the inside and then worked out. They emptied the place of accumulation of defiling junk, pagan rubbish, rubbish that had no business in that holy place. Do you see where they started? They started inside. Don't start pointing fingers and worrying about your friends tonight. You need to look at your own temple and go, I have idols in here. I've got things in here. I need to start cleaning out the inside before I start worrying about what the outside looks like. Before we go any further, they began to clean up and consecrate the temple from the inside out. Students, big spoiler alert, big surprise. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he has made a way for us to have immediate access to God. And as a result of that, once he died and he ascended back into heaven, Scripture says that God no longer needs to show up in a building. He now resides in the heart of man and women. And now we are the temple of God. And sadly, we also have idols that have we have consecrated our hearts and we've brought idols into them. We have defiled the temple of God. Tonight, God is wanting to confront these idols. He's got to confront them. Because there's no way he's too jealous of a God to let you worship him and nine others. It's time to get rid of the idols.
So they, the Levites, the worshipers, reported to Hezekiah the king, we've cleaned up the whole temple of God, including the altar of the burnt offering and the table of the bread of the presence of the furnishings. We've also cleaned up and we've consecrated all of the vessels which King Ahaz, your father, had gotten rid of during his misrule. Take a look, we've repaired everything. They're all out in front of the altar of the God. Hezekiah then made this response. He said, man, the dedication is now complete. You're consecrated to God. He says, now you're ready. Come forward. Bring your sacrifices and your thank offerings to the temple of God. And come, they did. When these thank offerings, we go, I don't, want to, I don't know what that means. That's saying, Jesus, I'm going to sing a song to you and I praise your holy name because you're worthy and you are a liberating God. God, I love you. That's bringing a thank offering. Not a lame offering. Big difference, man. That's why I opened up with John where it says, but the hour is coming, DSM. And I feel like this is for us. The hour is coming. No, it's now here at 8.13 on a Wednesday night when the true worshipers will begin to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Who in this room is willing to take their worship to the level that it needs to be as consecrated sons and daughters of God? For those listening on podcast, I had about 15 people raise their hands. All right. The worship in the temple of God was on a firm footing again. Hezekiah and the congregation, they celebrated. God had established a firm foundation for the lives of the people. And oh so quickly. If you look at another passage or another a translation of scripture, it talked about how a renewal came to the people of God. Before we can have a revival, DSM needs a renewal. And tonight is the night. We're going to be at the beginning of that. I truly believe that in faith. So let me get through this really quickly. Consecration sets the stage for a movement of God. If you want to see a movement of God, we've got to move the idols out. Okay? Now, when I was about 10 years old, I accidentally stabbed myself in the leg. It was a stupid boneheaded move. I had a butterfly knife. I was chopping at weeds, and I just put the whole darn thing in. I run into the house. The butterfly knife is sticking out of my leg. I'm like, <laughs> I've got a knife in my leg, y'all. I go to the doctor. They stitch me up. They put a Band-Aid on top of it because it was protecting the wound. Otherwise, it would get infected. But then, after like three weeks, I was nursing this thing. It was one of these hardcore Band-Aids made out of like cement. You know what I mean? It was grafted into my skin. And... While the Band-Aid at the time served as a mechanism to help me heal, if I kept the Band-Aid on too long, then it would actually become infected. It would begin to work against me instead of for me. And so my mother said, honey, time to take that Band-Aid off. I'm like, mom, I tried a little bit. I'm like, oh, it hurts. She's like, listen, you're going to have to man up. And you're going to, I'm 10 years old. I'm like, mom, I don't want to take one little inch at a time. She's like, the only way you can do this is man up and take it all off at once. You sure? Do it. All right. I ripped that sucker off and I yelled. I hated it. But my wound could not heal if I was doing a little bit at a time. So I'm about to offend some of you guys. In the interest of love and to take the freaking Band-Aid off all at once. It's not going to feel good. But you need to be healed of this idolatry in your life. You ready? Because I ain't going to stop. Here we go. Abe, get your people ready. We have been set apart, consecrated as holy because Jesus Christ did what him, what God wanted him to do by the sacrificing of his body once and for all. So you got to understand, we're the temple of God now. 
We've been consecrated by the blood of Jesus. We're now pure. Consecration starts with understanding you've been consecrated. Understand that this is not about you trying super hard to be super good for a super God. Okay? If you do that, it becomes the chore. And you're the guy on your knees going, oh, i got to do a quiet time and stay consecrated and deny myself all the fun. No, 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 no. You're already consecrated. You're already holy. You just don't live that way. It's a difference. The band-aid's coming off. And so, dear brothers and sisters, because of this, though, I want you to know this. Tonight, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into his presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So if you know Jesus and you're giving your life to him, you're good. You're just not living like it. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise, DSM. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is what we get to do. So consecration, though, guys, it's going to happen tonight, and that's awesome. But you also have to understand that this is a daily decision and commitment. That's why Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... You need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is for your life. His good and perfect and pleasing will for those who will consecrate themselves and say, I will deny these things for making room for God's will and awesomeness in my life. Really quickly, let's talk about things that could be enemies of consecration. And what I would tell you is being discontent. You go, whoa, uh-uh, big time. Before you sin, two things have to happen. Number one, you have to believe a lie, okay? And the second thing is, is you have to become discontented with your situation. When you go, I'm not getting what I deserve or want. Do you see what happens? The enemy goes, I agree. I've got some stuff for you that's going to really just blow your mind. I know you're tired of eating manna, so guess what? Dude, I want to hook you up with some quails, man. And I want you to eat out in the desert. God's cheaping out on you with this bread business. The Israelites became discontent, and they believed the lie that God was holding out on them. So they no longer consecrated themselves to God. They began to worship idols in the desert, and not one of them made it out of the desert. They died in their discontent because they thought God was holding out on them. But delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, DSM. Another enemy of consecration is lack of commitment. Another one is unconfessed sin, entertaining idols, and being self-righteous. Do you know the first two Ten Commandments? You know what they say? Church kids, anybody? You shall have no other God before me. Number one on the list, God's number one request and commandment. I'm not going to be God along with 15 others. But then, you know what the second one is? For those of you who are Googling, 
You must not make yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens on the earth below. You must not bow down to worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God. I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. God loves you guys, but he loves you so much that he gave you a preacher like me tonight. You've got to consecrate yourself if you love Jesus. And tonight is the night that the Holy Spirit has already convicted you. So what I'm going to ask you to do is stand to your feet. There's one passage I've got to read to you guys because I took it out. Because <laughs> I was afraid to read it to you. But I'm going to read it because God told me to put it in. If you want to know what other idols could look like, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and you cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? DSM, don't fool yourselves. Pull that scripture up and put it on the screen if it's not up there. Listen to this. This is like serious stuff. This is where the band-aid needs to begin to come off. Y'all ready? DSM, don't even fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. I used to be like that, guys. And if I'm not careful, I can become that again if I don't choose to consecrate myself daily to the things of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, okay? So you're cool. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so you say, but I'm allowed to do whatever I want now. But not everything is good for you, DSM. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Here's what I've learned about idols in my own life. They become slave drivers. They really like calling the shots. And guess what? They are the most rudest guests you can ever have because they refuse to leave unless the power of God says you must go. And the way that that happens is exercising your authority as God followers to consecrate yourself yet again to God. They have no authority over your life. So stop calling your sins addictions and habits. What they are, that is a byproduct of you worshiping an idol that you're now dependent upon. Does that make, does that make sense? All right. So I'm going to give you some real specific destruction. Or destru I'm going to give you some very specific destructions. Okay, the prophet needs to chill out in me now, okay? I need to like, start talking about grace, okay? I shoot it to you this way because you can handle it. Because it's the word of God. And there's not a, an NC-17 rating on the word of God or an R rating or a PG-13. No, this is the word of God for you guys because God knows you can handle it because his spirit lives within you and he loves you and he wants the best for you and so do we.